The following audio is from The Grove Church. To find out more about our church or to check out previous messages, go to our website at grove.church. Hey, um, excited to jump into a new series. If you're looking for a spot that we're going to land today, um, you can turn to Ephesians 6 in your Bible. If you've got a smartphone with a Bible app, that works as well. I will say when it comes to this series, I am excited about diving into this conversation because I think it's a really, really important one. I don't think that everything I say is always so profound, but I would encourage you to be a note taker, um, maybe in particular because of the series and this topic. The other part is today, as an introduction, I'm kind of going to be in a bunch of different places in Scripture. So if you're taking notes, it might help you follow along. And again, maybe you got some notes on your phone or your tablet or, or you got something you're actually writing with. Um, that's great too. But uh, Ephesians 6 is where we're going to land. When I first gave my life to Christ um, a long, long time ago, I guess now, but um, one of the things I began to realize immediately was, wow, if I say I believe what I, what, I, what I profess to believe, I better learn some more about Scripture. So I went out and um, somebody actually bought me a Bible, and I went out and bought a Bible dictionary, a regular dictionary, green Jansport backpack, all kinds of different colors of highlighters, and I just began to really dive in to learning scripture. And part of that journey included um, scripture memory, which I still to this day value like crazy. And it's something that if you haven't really implemented yet and you're a follower of Christ, I would really, really challenge you to consider memorizing scripture. Even if it was a verse a week or a verse a month, it would do you well. There's something about having scripture in your mind word for word that you can, even when you're driving, you can quote, or when you're hanging out somewhere, just kind of process and think about would be really, really healthy. One of the verses that, that I took to memorizing, it was actually a chunk of verses back then, was Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 18. Some of you might be familiar with those verses. Um, it's talking about the armor of God. And it starts out, and again, I memorized it, but I'm a little rusty on the whole thing, so I'm going to do my best here. But it says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the enemy's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against principalities, against powers of darkness and spiritual forces of wickedness in high places. And it goes on to say, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the schemes, or excuse me, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after having done everything to stand, it goes on then to talk about what we call the armor of God. It says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted, with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. I'm going to get to hear the next word. Um, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith. Um, Uh-oh, forgot part of it. Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the saints. I memorized those verses because having not grown up in church world and then realizing the power of Ephesians chapter six and the armor of God, my heart was, I want to be victorious. My passion was, I want to overcome the ways that I used to live now that I'm a follower of Jesus. And so Ephesians six was incredibly pertinent to me, but it's still pertinent today. At the same time, though, there's a part of this that would be easy to sort of gloss over, and yet I feel like we really, really can't ignore. It's a picture of the devil and his schemes and this fight that we have against powers of darkness. Yet, you and I live in a world that, listen, if we're really, really honest, it prefers to set this conversation aside. 
You've probably heard things before about you should never discuss religion and politics. Some of us have heard that before. It's a lie, but people have said never, and probably because things get really awkward. We're really familiar on social media with this, right? Never discuss religion and politics. I would say if that would be true, then you should triply never discuss the devil and stuff like that, you know, because it's even more weird or more awkward. And the truth is the conversation can go places that feel confusing and strange and all that stuff. And so we kind of set it aside. We kind of Avoided. I was actually having a conversation with a friend the other day who's required to make house calls for their job, and they were making a house call and, and, and doing what they had to do in this house. And for a couple of hours, they got stuck in a conversation with a really awkward, I would honestly say, based on what I understood, somebody that was kind of imbalanced, somebody that things weren't working appropriately mentally, and they were talking about the, the devil and the end of the world and all these kind of conspiracy-type theories, and that's a good reason why oftentimes the conversation gets set aside. But there's another part that I want us to, to really filter in the world that we live in, 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 in on all that we kind of uh, face, in, in especially probably the Western world in America in particular. Adam Young, if you're taking notes, you can, you can write down the name Adam Young. He has a podcast, and it's called The Place We Find Ourselves. And he has a master's degree. Uh, he has two master's degrees, actually. One's in social work and one's in divinity or theology. And in his podcast, he put, to, put together a series on spiritual warfare, and he says this, in America, we have a hard time with evil. Now listen carefully. He says, ever since the enlightenment, evil seems hard to believe because, we, because we've leaned on science as our answer to everything. Since the enlightenment, Christians have maintained their belief in the supernatural good, but have agreed with scientific enlightenment's dismissal of the bad. And then he goes on to talk about a book written by a guy named Andrew Delbanco. And, and this guy is, would consider himself a secular humanist, not a Christian, but he actually wrote a book. And this is the title of the book that Andrew Delbanco wrote, The Death of Satan, How Americans Have Lost Their Sense of Evil. And he says this in, the, in this book, the notion of evil has slipped out of the American consciousness. We in the West are coming to the realization that we cannot explain life without evil. Social and psychological ills are not just explained away. Evil is more of a player than we give it credit in our day, excuse me, in our day-to-day -day lives. That's coming from somebody who's not a believer in Christ, doesn't have the filter of, of faith or scripture, but somebody who's looking at our world sociologically, looking at our culture in America in particular, and, and, and identifying there's something more going on than what science is saying. There's something more going on than the five senses. There's something more going on than chemical imbalance and, and, and nature versus nurture. There's something more going on. It's called evil, even though many people will try to set aside the idea of evil. In fact, a great question is this. For those of us, and some, many of us are in here in this category, some of us maybe aren't, for those of us that have been a follower of Christ for let's say a year or two or five or 10 or maybe multiple decades, let me ask you this. When was the last time you had a conversation with somebody that you knew very well, somebody that you had good relationship with and actually talked like this? I feel like the enemy is doing this in my life. I feel like the enemy is at work in this avenue of my life right now. Most of us, 
would take pause and go, I don't know, I don't really talk like that. And oftentimes, it's because it can feel so awkward to sort of say that. And people think, I think you're maybe crazy. But again, for people that you know well, that you have good relationship with and that you respect, that should not be such a foreign conversation. As a confession, my wife and I have been married almost 22 years, it'd be 22 this year. I love our relationship because there are times where she can pull me aside in random conversation or stop me in the midst of whatever we might be doing and say, hey, could you just pray for me? I just feel weird. But to be honest with you, there are times where she'll, she'll say, I just feel like I am being attacked in a certain way. And again, that can sound like such a weird conversation when there's not context to it. And yet there is a reality of this idea of evil that's more than just a general sense of negative things in our world. C.S. Lewis, I mentioned this in, in, in sort of the Easter ad we put together for this series, Enemy at Work. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters. Can I just ask, has anybody else read that book besides me? Okay, so there's probably, there's maybe a dozen of us that have read Screwtape Letters. I love C.S. Lewis. And if you've never read anything by C.S. Lewis, I would encourage you to. Um, again, he's somebody that didn't grow up in church world, but, but came to faith in Christ, but super, super deep thinker, super smart guy. Screwtape Letters is written from the perspective of, follow me here, from the perspective of a demon with, with a level of maturity that he's trying to help a younger demon tempt a man away from God. So he's basically, every chapter is like a little letter written, you know, as an update on here's how to do it, here's what to do. In the preface of the book, the very opening of the book as you open it, Here's what C.S. Lewis says, and this is what I had quoted before. There are two equal and opposite errors in which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. There are people in our world that have some, you know, kind of excessive interest where demon around every corner and always having conversations and they're kind of weird, or maybe the, the idea of, you know, Satanism and people that kind of enjoy the pentagrams and this kind of weird spiritual world that's negative. So excessive interest. But he said that the other error though is to disbelieve in their existence at all. Let me go back to Eugene Peterson. If you've ever read the message version of the Bible, Eugene Peterson is a pastor who pastored on the East Coast. He would vacation to Montana, up Lake, uh, Flathead Lake, Kalispell area. Um, I've read the message version many times. I've, I've referenced it many times on Sundays. I actually read his book called The Pastor. It's kind of his biography. I have a deep respect for Eugene Peterson. He's kind of America's pastor in a sense um, over the years. He's passed away not too long, a couple of years back. Eugene Peterson says this, the basic nature of history is warfare. Persons who live by faith live in conflict. History is a long sequence of battles, the forces of good and evil in conflict. This is the human condition. To be human is to be at war. That's Eugene Peterson. One of the greatest preachers in history, he's said to have, have, have written over 10,000 and delivered over 10,000 sermons in his lifetime, Charles Spurgeon. Okay, so let me rewind over 100 years, and here's a quote from Charles Spurgeon. To be a Christian is to be a warrior. The Christian must not expect to find ease in this world. It is a battlefield. His occupation is war. 
Okay, let, let, me, let, me, let me nerd out for a second, but I am actually a fan of Lord of the Rings. Anybody else out there enjoy Lord of the Rings? I'm the nerd that watched the extended versions just because I just kind of dig it. Anyway, I, I love the creativity, Tolkien, his writing, which by the way, he was contemporaries and friends with C.S. Lewis, okay? So Tolkien who wrote Lord of the Rings in the movies, there's a point where Gandalf is talking to King Theoden and King, he's saying to King Theoden, there's a, battle ha- there's a battle coming. He says to King Theoden, you must fight. King Theoden's response is this, I will not risk open war. Aragorn's response in this conversation is this, open war is upon you whether you would risk it or not. This is where, and what I'm trying to get to today is if you've ever read Paul's letter to the church at Rome, Romans, in chapter seven, Paul says, why is it that I do what I don't want to do? And why is it the things I really want to do, I don't do? Is anybody else familiar with that plight besides me? Yeah, every one of us, okay? Just raise your hand in church, all right? We're all familiar with this idea of here's what I want to do, and yet here's what I do. I would say a pan of brownies is a great example, okay? But there are all kinds of ways where we go, I know I shouldn't do this, but yet there I am doing it. I know I ought to do these things, but why is it that I don't do these things? Paul is literally describing this picture of a world at war. This idea that inside of you and inside of me, there is a battle raging constantly, and it is light versus dark. It is good versus evil. The main anchor to what I'm trying to tell you today is simply this. We are in a world at war. Just like Aragorn said to King Theoden, again, I'm a nerd, Open war is upon you, whether you like it or not, whether you believe it or not. And the greatest trick of the enemy would be for you to walk out of here going, that's kind of just a bunch of hogwash. Evil is just kind of a symbolic general idea. No, no, no. There is an enemy. And we're going to get into some scripture today, and I'm going to refer to a bunch of places that I'm going to ask you to write down just so you can try to follow along. But there is no question in my heart that evil is real and that devils are real. And I'm not trying to weird you out. What I want in this series is to open all of our eyes to the reality of the battle we face and not assume it's just a weird imbalance at times or it's just in general this world that we sort of live in or it's just because people were raised in a certain way and I watch Dateline, it seems like everybody wants to kill their spouse, okay? It's, It's not simply all of those things. There is an enemy and open war is Upon us, we would be foolish to ignore the reality of evil, of an enemy, of fallen angels at work in this world. Let me, let me refer to scripture for a moment here and remind you, and here's just a couple of stats you might want to write down. First of all, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four gospels in scripture. They're the writings about the time of Jesus, written from eyewitness accounts, or in Luke, it's his, his record of the eyewitness accounts. In those four books, 32 chapters in those gospels deal with evil, okay? 199 times in the New Testament, 199 times in the New Testament, evil is mentioned in different ways. The idea of tempter, dominion, um, thief, all these different words, 199 times. Compare that to the word grace that appears in the New Testament 144 times. Evil is mentioned 199. 1 Corinthians 15. Here's something we need to understand. In 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus 
writes, or sorry, Paul writes that, that Jesus is victorious over evil. And so sometimes what happens, and you have to read the whole, we're going to get into 1 Corinthians 15 in the future in this series, but in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes that Jesus has victory over evil, and that's great news for us. But here's his confession. It doesn't mean that evil is done away with and we don't deal with it all the time. In fact, Paul says that, that things think while he's got victory over evil, evil is still prevalent. Basically, scripture reminds us until the end comes. And I'm not telling you when the end's coming because no one knows. But anyway, until the end comes, evil is a reality in our world. In fact, the writer of Hebrews reminds us of the same thing in chapter two. Write down Hebrews two, and like I said, we'll get to that later as well. We are in a battle. Revelation chapter 12 brings up this story that if you've ever read Revelation, it talks about the, the dragon being hurled to earth and, and this idea of the dragon chasing the woman, the woman with the baby, and then you know going after those that are followers of this, this picture of this baby and this woman. And again, a lot of Revelation can be a challenge to understand, but what we do know out of Revelation 12, we'll be talking more about, is that what's being described is this spiritual battle that's being waged all the way back to the story of Mary and Joseph and the things that you and I would read at Christmas time. There's a reality to this battle that John in his revelation that he has and writes down for us as the last book in scripture says there's absolutely a battle. That's Revelation 12, Matthew chapter 12. There's a point where, like I said, 32 chapters in the Gospels deal with the issue of evil. One of them is Matthew chapter 12, where Jesus is literally doing an exorcism of a demon from a person. And at one point, as the religious leaders are watching this, they begin to whisper to each other, you know how he's doing it? He's doing it by Satan. And you know what Jesus' response is? I think you can put it on the screen. Matthew chapter 12, verse 25 says this. Jesus says this, every kingdom, he's saying this to the leaders, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. Every city or household divided itself will not stand, against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? Jesus, in the red letter version of the Bible, that's in red letters. Jesus is acknowledging there is a kingdom of good and there is a kingdom of evil and there is a war being waged. And if Satan is driving out Satan, that, that kingdom is going to crumble. He's acknowledging this picture of a battle. Let me go back now to Ephesians chapter six as we begin to wrap up today. Again, I know this is an overview. I know I've been to a lot of places. I got a couple more for reference in a moment here. And as the, as the series goes on, we're going to dive in specifically to certain stories to help you and I understand the enemy at work. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Okay, then listen to what Paul says. But against rulers, against authorities, against powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. If you, if you study this and, and you get your head wrapped around what Paul is saying, it would be literally to understand there is some sort of hierarchy of evil going on in spiritual realms. 
If you, this is not just to understand that Paul is saying there is evil to deal with. He's literally describing the idea of a hierarchy. In Colossians chapter one, he does the exact same thing in verse 16, but he does it talking about the kingdom of light where he brings up this same idea or these same phrases, thrones, powers, rulers, and authorities, okay? Talking about Jesus rules over these things, talking about the power of light. So when we look at what's going on, and again, we'll describe some of this, and some of it is, is still obviously a bit of a mystery. This idea of hierarchies of evil can be hard to wrap our heads around. Let, let, me, let me try to end with some good news. Can we do that? It's a lot of talking about darkness today, a lot of talking about evil today. Let's end with some good news. Jesus in John chapter 10, I've mentioned this, this verse so many times over the years because I feel like it's so important that you probably know where I'm going. Jesus in John chapter 10 is sharing with the crowd, the people that, that you know, talks about, I am the gate and there are sheep inside the pen and I am the gate and the thief comes and tries to take them away. And then he says in John chapter 10, and he's referring to this picture of evil. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Okay, think about those words for a second. Steal, kill, and destroy. If any of us in here, I have, and I'm sure you have, if any of us in here have ever dealt with a sin that keeps rearing its head and you keep randomly giving in and then, you know, all that you feel, what do you feel after you give into a sin you know is wrong? Stealing, killing, and destroying. You feel your soul is shriveling. You feel like it impacts your ability to relate with other people. You feel a sense of guilt that sometimes leads to condemnation, right? That's the picture that we're familiar with. The enemy, when you and I give into things the enemy wants us to give into and we know it, we feel that stealing, killing, and destroying. We're not thriving. But the good news is Jesus continues the sentence, the enemy or the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and life abundantly or and life to the full. That is not to understand, as some people have told us, if you want to live abundant life, you're going to have abundance of wealth and you're going to have abundance of health and abundance of power and abundance of fame and abundance of, and people have manipulated that. That is not specifically the definition of life abundantly. Life abundantly is life surrendered to Jesus. Life abundantly is life surrendered to the Lord that you and I live in a way that we're surrounded by the Spirit of God, confident in our surrender to God given to those things God wants in our lives. I know this. Every time in my marriage that, that we get into a, a heated argument and I overstep and I know I've done something wrong, it affects my marriage. And there are times where you've gotten an argument in your marriage where you've said too much or it didn't come out the way you want. Is anybody with me? And all of a sudden you're like, oh man, now the fight's getting worse. And sometimes in our stubbornness, we plow on and make it worse. I'm guilty of it. I'm pretty sure you're guilty of it if you've been married for more than like an hour. <laughs> there are just these moments where, and, and we give in and there's argument, we're fighting, we're frustrated. And what happens? It, it affects our marriage. But what happens when you take the right steps to repent? When you take the right steps to own your mistakes and deal with it, your marriage in fact gets stronger. When you and I live in surrender to what God wants, when you and I live with that sense of repentance and honoring who God is and who the people around us are, when we do that, it strengthens those relationships. We begin to live in that abundant life God wants us to live in, surrendered to the Spirit. 
In my living room, my wife created a big chalk drawing on our mantle above the fireplace, um, and, and it says Coram Deo. And then she defines Coram Deo, and she's referring to John chapter 15. Coram Deo defined is living life under the authority of God, in the presence of God, to the glory of God. And I read it all the time because it's in my living room. But I can't help but when I'm reading it, thinking to myself or sometimes out loud praying, God, I want to live that way. That's what I want. Because that's where we find life abundantly. The enemy has come to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full or have life abundantly. Last verse, I got one more. You're like, stop it, okay? I got one more. James chapter four. When I gave my life to Christ, um, let me rewind for a second. When I was a little baby, I was christened in a Lutheran church. I didn't go to church a lot as a kid. I didn't know a lot, but I always had a Bible that my aunt and uncle gave me. And it was given to me on my christening day when I was just an infant. I still have it to this day. When you open the front flap, it says, little Nikki, to you on your christening. Don't ever call me that, by the way. Just <laughs> There's about two people in this room currently right now that are allowed to call me that. No one else. The two know who they are. The rest of you knock it off. Okay. Anyway, but it literally, it's like this little dedication way to go. Anyway, so when I was growing up, I would always, I would always have that book on my shelf, that, that Bible on my shelf in my room somewhere. And, and I would always randomly grab it and open it and start reading. And just like any book, because I didn't know any better, I would start from the beginning. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There was farmless and void and darkness, and I would read. And I would get to about chapter six and be like, I'm done. And every now and then I would crack it open and get to like Psalms and not get to, I would read some Psalms and I don't fully get it. Or I would play the whole like, yeah, just open it and start reading. Like, I don't know what that means, nothing. After I gave my life to Christ, um, a friend of mine bought me a Bible and said, read the book of James. I read the book of James and for the first time after I gave my life to Christ, I don't know what was going on. I could understand the Bible like I had never understood before. James is the half-brother of Jesus. James didn't believe in Jesus when he walked this earth. In fact, he was part of the family, uh, Jesus' family, that mocked him when you read the Gospels. Like, oh no, who does he think he is? Like, this guy's lost it. But he became a believer and actually was um, a, a huge leader in the, in the first century church, leader of the church of Jerusalem, obviously wrote the book of James. Okay, this is the half-brother of Jesus. In James chapter four, again, taking notes, this is the last verse I'll refer to today. James chapter four, if you take a look at verse seven, it says this, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee. I wanna end with that because what I want desperately is for you and I to walk out of here, for you and I, and maybe you're watching online, you're sitting in your living room to be convinced of this as you log off. I want us to leave this moment believing, you know what, evil isn't just symbolic. Evil isn't just some random force out there. Evil is real, the enemy is real, and we are in a world at war. But what I don't wanna do is leave it at that and have you go and just kind of feel this sense of anxiety because of it. Jesus in John 10, 10, and his half-brother James in James 4, verse seven and eight remind us, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. And then I love the, the ending part, the, the, the verse eight, come near to God and he will come near to you. We don't have to live in fear. We don't have to live paranoid, demons around every corner and constantly this crazy battle going on. There is a battle. 
But there's also a confidence that we're given as we live in surrender to the Lord. Submit to God. Resist the devil. James is saying there's a battle that's being waged. But as you and I fight that battle, as you and I find those victories, guess what? There's a sense of power as we flex that muscle that gets stronger and stronger in our own lives. And we overcome the way we're called to. So we don't live in fear. And I want to pray that as we leave here today, as we end this gathering today, that yes, we understand there's a battle, but we also don't have to live in fear of that battle. I can't wait in the series as we continue to talk more about very specifically ways that the enemy twists certain things in our lives that we find ourselves falling prey, but we don't have to. Let's pray. Jesus, I know we live in a world at war. And I pray maybe for some who walked in today and this can feel like such a weird conversation or have a random dialogue with somebody and it gets really odd really fast because there's all kinds of crazy stuff out there about this. And yet it would do a disservice to our spiritual journeys to try to set this aside and act like evil is just kind of this general force. No, no, no. There is a hierarchy. We are being tempted. It isn't just this battle we wage with our chemicals, although that can be a challenge. God, I pray for wide open eyes. I pray for wide open hearts. I pray for your Holy Spirit to remind us of this battle, but also help us realize we don't have to live in fear of it because as we live in quorum Deo, as we live in surrender to the presence of God, under the authority of God, for the glory of God, that, Lord, we can walk out the life that Jesus, you said, is an abundant life. And that's what I desperately want us to get to, step by step. Jesus, we need your help, and we surrender to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. To keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, or check us out at our website, grove.church.